This is the Marsh and Matt Show with Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan. Welcome to a Christmas week edition of the Marsh and Matt Show. Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan along with you. Just us here this week on uh, as we as we close up the uh, 2021 calendar year. Hard to believe, Matt. And uh, here we are just a couple days in front of Christmas as we are recording this. And uh, we're going to talk plenty of, uh, of Minnesota Vikings um here here this week i'm actually recording this in florida matt is up in uh, snowy minnesota and uh if, if, excuse my voice because i'm recovering from covid uh which i which i put out on twitter earlier this week uh so but luckily the the recovery is going well so uh felt uh felt up to up to recording this podcast and it's appropriate because uh covid is the headline with the minnesota vikings today with uh, Dalvin Cook, unfortunately, going on the the COVID list, and he's going to be unavailable for this week's game against the Rams. Yeah, it's a big loss. Uh, we hope both you and Dalvin uh, uh, successfully recover from COVID, uh, you know, and that it is uh, not a, a serious case uh, for him. It's a big loss with a huge game. I mean, we know the deal the vikings went out they're in it's daunting but it's within their control and there is no doubt even though uh the vikings still attempted to win games with alexander madison in and dalvin out uh that they are a less potent team um without dalvin uh you know dalvin has the ability to set the tone and take over games and pick up the rest of the offense uh if they're having an off game and madison can't really do that uh it it makes Thielen coming back that much more important it means making sure that kirk doesn't get covid uh is that much more important uh because without dalvin this offense could really struggle to keep up with an obviously potent Rams offense. Um, you know, so Kirk is going to have to play better than he has the last two games, you know, and play like he has most of the rest of the season. The offensive line is going to have to play much better um, against an even taller task uh, against Aaron Donald. And, um, you know, we're probably going to need to see uh, Nwangu, you know, get mixed in with his speed um, and talent into the offense more. And uh, JJ's got to, you know, be at the top of JJ's game uh, because I just, we can't expect the defense, even though they played better against uh, the bears, we know all the COVID situation that the bears faced and and the struggles they're they're just kind of a disaster of a team. Uh, But the defense isn't going to hold these LA Rams to nine points. You know, that's just, uh, you know, 10 points. That's not going to happen. So the offense is going to have to pick it up uh, for Dalvin. Yeah, uh, you you hit on the key on the key points right there, and and really three points for for most of the game for the defense against Chicago until that cheap touchdown uh, at the end by I think a Roseville or Rosemount native. It was a Minnesota native who scored the final wow. touchdown for the Bears. So there's a little uh, nugget there. I don't remember his name, but you know a little bit of a shout out for that for that young man. Um, 
you, you know, and I don't want to make this show about the COVID protocols or anything like that. I will. The only thing I'll say is this. Um, and, and Dalvin's out 10 days because he's unvaccinated, uh, which does luckily mean if he's, you know, good to go, test negative, his last day on the list would be the day before they play the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. So the timing of this actually works out quite fortuitously, potentially, as long as he's able to come off the list in time. My, my only thing, and, and the NFL has revised the protocols a little bit with regards to, un, or to asymptomatic, or asymptomatic vaccinated players. Um, but they're still making unvaccinated players sit out 10 days, no matter if they're asymptomatic or, or testing negative. Um, so I just, you, you know, and the reason I mentioned this is not to, not because Dalvin's being affected now or what have you. It's because if they don't make some adjustment to these protocols, the integrity of the playoffs could be in serious question. I mean, what if, what if Tom Brady were to come down with COVID three days before the game and he has this Omicron variant that in the vast majority of people who are vaccinated uh, is asymptomatic or very mild symptoms, he fi feels fine to play, but he's not able to play. Um, you, you could have a potentially really dicey situation when you have key players missing playoff games. Now they got through it last year, but this thing is spreading even more this year. Uh, vaccinated, unvaccinated, everybody's, everybody's uh, vulnerable. I was vaccinated. I got the virus too. So, um, you know, I feel like they've got to do something there. Um, and, and that's all I'll say about that. And then get back to responding to your, to your other points. Yeah, I'll, I just quickly add, I, I think where the NFL really has to be careful in all of this is, you know, obviously it's an unprecedented situation. And, you know, but they've got to be careful in terms of the, the consistency with how they apply these things. You do need to be adaptable as you get new knowledge. But I got to be honest, when they started delaying games last week, I sat there and I said, thought to myself, there are teams that lost key players earlier this year from a COVID situation. They didn't get the benefit of the games being delayed. Right. At, at some point, the integrity of the playoffs is screwed up, you know, already because you're, you're giving preferential treatment to certain teams over others by delaying games and giving them greater flexibility and the chance to get healthy, you know? So what if all of a sudden the NFL delayed the Saints game this week, you know, against the Dolphins in order for them to get Taysom Hill back, you yeah. know, rather than Ian Book, my, my my boy from Notre Dame starting, which I think I think he is going to play well for them. I just hope it's not too well. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it is a it is a difficult situation. And there are questions about how this is going to play out in a way that doesn't um make it unfair for everyone but it is it is a big deal as you said to get back to the football and the vikings element that delvin could be back for green bay because if we can it hold is. serve against the rams at home you are that is that is huge um you know if you lose this game i am you know it's going to be really tough to make the play if you lose this I, game I you have to win the other two so to have him back for, for Green Bay would be imperative, no question.
Uh, but but I, I think, like you said, you can't lose this game. You're you're at home. You already have two home losses. That's that's too too many. Honestly, uh, the 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 home games they lost were to the Cleveland Browns when they scored seven points, none after the first drive, and to the Dallas Cowboys with Cooper Rush. So those two. Now they did beat Green Bay at home, so they they kind of offset at least one of those a little bit, but. Um, the, the, you, you can't lose too many home games in the NFL and losing three home games in one season with some of the tough games they've had to play on the road and the injuries they've dealt with and now the COVID issues and every, everything they've dealt with. Three home losses would be too many and, and you probably wouldn't make the playoffs. So, and, and you lose any games and then you really have to get some help, most notably from the aforementioned New Orleans Saints and and it would matter which teams they lost to, because if they just yeah. lose to Miami, that's an NFC loss. And with the tiebreakers, if they go two and one with a loss to Miami, we go two and one with a loss to Green Bay. That's not good enough. Assuming nope. San Francisco takes takes care of business. So, you know, you know the the easiest path is just win win these three games. Uh, but but we'll see. It'll be an entirely different conversation. When we talk post Christmas next week, leading into that Green Bay game, because we could have gotten help potentially from all these teams, and then maybe the Green Bay game isn't as crucial uh, as long as the Vikings take care of the Rams. So it's really a week to week thing, um, and it starts uh, tonight, actually, with the San Francisco 49ers game. They're not totally insured uh, into the playoffs, so they're playing Tennessee. Um, on Thursday night football. So see what happens. See what happens there. You're probably listening to this after the game, but um, we, Marshall, we do have to acknowledge that, you know, it, and this is going to sound more pessimistic than I mean it to be, because obviously they could win out and get in, or they might not win out and still get in. But this season really could end up, it, it seems like a foregone conclusion that this season is going to be the season of what ifs. What yeah. if we didn't miss? Greg Joseph didn't miss the kick against the Cardinals and the Cardinals had one more loss who, and they've not been looking good as of late, um, you know, and you have that buffer. What if we didn't let Cooper rush do what he inexplicably did against us? Uh, what if we would have put the Ravens away? What if we hadn't let Detroit go and drive like they did, you know, you just needed one of those things to happen and yeah. you're breathing a big sigh of relief in terms of your positioning here. Well, I think but because they didn't. Yeah. But speaking really of tough. position, speaking of positioning, I think it's, it's that, that could still be the case, even if they make the playoffs, because they're going to have a tough first round match right now. They'd be in line to face Dallas, a really tough who they lost to with Cooper rush, as we mentioned uh, at home, they'd have to go to Dallas and face a really good defensive and offensive line uh and a really physical team that could give them problems now Dak hasn't looked as good since he's come back nor has nor has Ezekiel Elliott but you know that wouldn't be an easy game no no first round game for the Vikings is going to be easy if they get in they'd be playing either Green Bay Arizona Dallas or Tampa I mean of those I'd want to see Arizona I think Arizona's run defense is weak uh, I think the Vikings played them very well toe-to-toe at the beginning of the year when Arizona was not uh, – when Arizona was hot. Um, and I think that would be the team you want to see. But at this point, you can't get picky. 
back to what you were saying though about uh, Dalvin at the top. Um, you know, it kind of annoys me sometimes when people, when Alexander Madison will have a good game in place of Dalvin, and then you'll get these comments, mainly from Vikings Twitter, which, you know, it's dangerous to look on there sometimes. <laughs> but you'll, you'll get these comments like, well, you know, we don't really need Dalvin. Well, the, the contract, you know, is uh, so expensive. And all these, Alexander Madison's, you know, he's not Dalvin, but he's, he's plenty good enough. Alexander Madison's fine. I, I mean, he's done well in place of Dalvin. And I, I just looked this up. He's had three starts this year. One against Seattle. The Vikings won that game, 30-17. to 17. Madison went for 112 on the ground. Uh, against Detroit at home. Vikings won that game, 1917. Madison went for 113. And then at Detroit, he started again. Vikings lost that one, 29-27. He went for 90 yards on the ground and uh, got going a little bit in the second half of that game. So he's, he's filled in admirably, but he's not going to potentially put his team on his back like Dalvin. He can't take over a game like Dalvin can. He can't catch the ball like Dalvin can. He can't block like Dalvin can. He doesn't have the vision that Dalvin does. And all the, this is a little unfair to Madison. I mean, he's backing up quite possibly the best running back in football. But uh, if Madison started on a week-to-week basis, I think he'd be an average running back, maybe slightly above. Dalvin is elite. I mean, we're talking about one of the top talents in in the game. Um, He's third in the league in rushing despite missing several games this year. So, uh, and and he's the leader of the offense. You say what you will about Kirk Cousins. Dalvin Cook is the emotional leader of that offense. He's the one before the games doing the pregame speeches and everything. I mean, he's become the emotional leader of that offense. It flows through him still. Uh, It's not as play action heavy as it was before. Certainly JJ has had another spectacular season Um, and and Kirk's played well for the most part, but uh, it it starts and stops with Dalvin and and it's going to be interesting to see how they work their way around that. Uh, this week against a very, very good Rams front uh, with with Aaron Donald. And that'll be the next thing I want to ask you. I mean, we can talk about that Bears game a little bit, but I think now we're, we're closer to the Rams game than we were to the Bears game. May as well focus on the Rams. But the similarities from the Bears, you say, say what you want about the Bears missing all their secondary. That doesn't matter when you got the pass rush that they did against Kirk Cousins. Me and you could have been out there covering some of the Vikings receipt. Well, let's not go that let's, far. But well, well, actually, you know my Marshall, point. Uh, to, uh, if 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 we're Akeem allowed Hicks to tackle, was unstoppable. If we're allowed to tackle Justin Jefferson and true, true. Uh, and the Bears uh, front uh, front four are getting the pressure like they were yeah. in the front seven, you know, yeah. then maybe you're right. You know, yeah. because uh, Robert Quinn abused Derisaw. Uh, it was Christian's first game back off injury, not blaming him. Quinn's having a historic year, has over 15 sacks, and he's over 30 years old. He's one of the few players in the history of the league to do that. Uh, and Akeem Hicks is a Vikings killer. We know it. He is a Vikings killer. And he smoked Mason Cole and Garrett Bradbury all night. And the middle thrust they got against Kirk Cousins was a problem. The Vikings still managed to score a couple touchdowns and a field goal. It was enough in that game. 
But it, I didn't see it nearly enough moving of the pocket by Clint Kubiak. There was no adjust. Kirk was sitting duck back there. Not very good adjustments made by Kubiak throughout that game. No, uh, where I'm going to give uh, overall not a good game for Kubiak. Surprisingly, it was sort of a little bit of the flip side of what we've seen this year, which is the play calls in the red zone were actually pretty good. Both of those touchdowns were well-designed plays, in particular the second using Jefferson out of the backfield as a decoy for Smith-Marset to get open. They scored when they needed to in the red zone in a very sloppy game where they didn't perform very well, but you take a win at Soldier Field. But you're you're totally right. What I, I put this on Twitter, and I do think that, I hope this is the case, that last week, the the offensive line we've shuffled the offensive line so many times players playing different positions uh, because of injuries because of guys you know getting ready or needing a break or not performing and so my hope is that another week of practice together for this unit playing the same positions will allow them to perform better combined with what you're talking about of getting creative, moving the pocket and getting Thielen back that that will allow them to click more because what's interesting is the individual pieces like Darisaw looks like he's going to be a stud. Brian O'Neill, obviously one of the best in the game. Uh, Cleveland has had a phenomenal year. He's actually quietly been really good. Yeah. And you know, and then Mason Cole filling in in a lot of positions hasn't been bad, but he's had to play so many positions that, you know, and he obviously was not good last week. Bradbury was not good the first half, but, you know, he's talking, he's said some good things about how he needs to get more aggressive and play better. So I, there are a lot of good pieces there. Can the play calling and the moving of the pocket match it? Um, in order to get guys open and be successful, but they're going to have to fix it because if you, you know, if you perform like you did last week as the offensive line, I, I, I can guarantee if the offensive line performs like they did last week, this will not be a one score game. Like the Vikings have become so accustomed to, they will not be able to keep up with the Rams offensive. So you have, you, know, to, the keep, defense- you have to keep their offense off the field. And and, yeah. and Zimmer has had, and that's why again, not having Dalvin to move those chains. Huge. Madison yep. is going to have to play like he has so far, but this is the tough run, def- toughest run defense he will have seen as a starter, certainly, uh, and maybe for the whole team all year. Uh, that front is no joke. But they're going to have to run the ball to slow down the pass rush. They're going to have to run the ball. They're going to have to get. Donald and and Von Miller running from sideline to sideline. There was a point Pete Bursich made really well on the radio call with, with Paul Allen on KFAN was the Vikings needed to do a better job of getting Akeem Hicks and Robert Quinn to run sideline to sideline just to tire them out a little bit. Um, and, and we didn't do that well enough in that game. So we need to do it in this game. Um, but I do think, Having Adam Thielen back is, and it looks like he's on track to play. He was close last week. Looks like he's going to play this week. He's been limited at practice. So that's a good sign. He's on the practice field. We need him playing. Um, And you talk about red zone. 
there's been no more reliable receiver in the red zone in the National Football League the past couple of years than Adam Thielen. So he's, he's, he's who Kirk looks to in the red area. And, and now, I mean, I think it's great. Smith-Marset got some action, got some confidence. That's good. KJ is an option. We know JJ is an option. Tyler Conklin's an option. So, so Kirk's got some options, but really the amount of pressure taken off of JJ when Thielen's out there is, is a big, big dynamic. And without Dalvin, you're going to really need Thielen out there. It, I, I agree with you. It's on the defense has played better. They're probably as healthy as they've been all year. Um, having Peterson back, Pierce is playing out of his freaking mind the past couple weeks. I mean, this is the Michael Pierce that we that we signed before DJ last year. Wano, Armin DJ Wano is becoming a star in the making. I mean, the job that Andre Patterson and Mike Zimmer have done with that defensive line is nothing short of phenomenal. They lead the league in sacks despite losing Daniil Hunter now for over half the season and Everson Griffin for a large portion of time as well. That is impressive. That is impressive. They've done a great job and you have to tip your hat to Spielman and Zimmer have taken a lot of heat, What they've done in drafting and developing D linemen along with Andre Patterson as well has been fantastic and it's paid major dividends. I mean, where would this defense be without the pressure they've put on the quarterback? They've struggled to cover uh, with with the exception of, uh, of Patrick Peterson. I'd say totally agree. Two other things, one offense and then one defense that I think we also need to see in this game in order for it to go the Vikings way. They, I think they've got to do more. Kubiak in the play calling has to do more to use the pass game as an extension of the run game. It seems like so much of the play calling this year has either been shots down the field or shots down the sideline or runs in between in particular between the tackles and i want i would love to see him more on first down or second down in order to take a little bit of the pressure off of madison as well as the pass rush quick throws you know especially with you know get three wide receiver sets get you know get the tight ends involved but do it earlier not not this running short of the you know uh, sticks on third down when it's third and seven because you've gone run run and now you have to do a pass but do that more on first down do that more on second down quick passes quick yards because then you're going to get you're going to get more into manageable third down situations um manageable second down situations that are going to allow you even if you're not going to score on a drive to keep their offense off the field because you're going to have two or three first downs on a drive rather than three and outs all the time. And I feel like that they've just too, too often they've gone either run, run pass, or it is, um, or when they do mix in the pass earlier on first and second down, it's taking more shots and I'm all for taking shots and keeping them on, the defense on their heels, but I do think that when you lose Dalvin's talent, you have to, in order to get the run game going more, you need the passing game to be more of an extension of the run game rather than differentiator. The yes. other, the other thing. Well, let I me would, respond to that first. Yeah, and go let's go to your next point. The, the, I agree. I, I think they have thrown more on first down 
the past, I would say, month. They've been much more aggressive on first down. And on third down and short, they have thrown deep, which can be frustrating at times. You're like, oh, my God, you know, they only need three yards. Why are they going deep? Well, because the other team knows that you only need three yards, and that is is an opportune time to attack deep. Uh, It can be risky, but that's the kind of aggressiveness that people have called for. And they did it with Tyler Conklin and almost hit on it against the Chicago Bears early in that game down the left sideline. So, but, but I think going off that point too, the create, we need to see the creativity without Dalvin and that play with Smith-Marset to use JJ as the decoy. You, you saw everybody went to him. You motioned him into the backfield. Everybody went to him. Smith-Marset was wide open. I think you, do, you, you use JJ in the backfield more. Uh, I love when he starts coming in motion and then runs around, you know, behind the running back. All the eyes are on Jefferson and for good reason. And then, and I think we'll see more of this with Dalvin out, Kenny Wangwu. Kenny Wangwu was, I mean, those runs that he had were nice. I mean, the speed, you give him a little bit of a crease, he was assertive. He was, I mean, much better than he was in his limited action against Detroit a couple of weeks ago. Um, he didn't play against Pittsburgh because Dalvin was just a, a a machine didn't, didn't come off the field. Um, but now he's going to be on the field more and we got to get the ball in his hands. I would say eight to 10 times to Kenny Wangwu in this game, because he's, he's dynamic with the ball in his hands. He could score at any time. And it needs to also include the pass game. I think of that route that Dalvin ran coming out of the backfield that Kirk had that perfect throw a few weeks ago to him. And Oh, that was so nice. Oh, it was so nice. That's the type of thing you can do with Kenny Nwangu. Get him out of the backfield and hit him on that stuff with his speed. The other thing, I I go back to the Carolina game, and, you know, uh, it was, you know, K.J. Osborne's breakout game. And I think that was the game where we hit him on a few slants across the middle. And so when people are going to be keyed in on Thielen being back and healthy and J.J., they're going to be more open, I think, with K.J., you know, get him on um, with his speed on some shorter routes. And so look, you know, take a six yard slant, you know, do, you know, we can take a a Conklin, you know, four yard out or five yard out, you know, on a first down, because now all of a sudden facing second and five and handing it off to Madison is a big difference between they're keying in on the run on first down and they stuff them and you got second and eight and you run it again. And now you're in your third and seven type of situation. And that's when they really stall is when they get those longer third downs as most things do. Most teams do. The other thing is the offensive line can't commit penalties like they have throughout the year, because it's just, that's when our drives have stalled so much. That's when the problem, old. man. Mason Cole might be out this week. Ole Udo could be back. He leads the NFL in penalties. So in in one sense, it could be good because Ole is bigger and stronger than Mason Cole. So you need some of that beef against Donald, but that could be a penalty fest waiting to happen. That can't happen. No, that can't happen. A a holding penalty is just as bad as a sack. So for sure. And too often, too often our offensive line is killed drives and killed plays with just penalties yeah. the other, the and other it's thing, been mostly mostly Udo 
Yeah, it has. So the other thing on the defense quickly that I wanted to touch, we got to get Cam Bynum back involved um, more on the defense. He's too good of an athlete. There was so much, so many good things we saw with him earlier this season. Um, uh, Xavier Woods started out the season. Well, he's not been as good as of late. Um, you know, he's had a few games in coverage where he hasn't been as good, but I think the other thing is just, we're going to need greater support with, with the Rams, great receivers, um, you know, and, and Bynum with his size and his speed, I think we got to find a way to use him and get him involved more, um, defensively, uh, because I think he's a playmaker and he has the ability to, yes, he's young. Yes. He could make some mistakes, but I think that would be helpful to the defense to get him involved, whether it's some three safeties sets or using him in other ways. I think that that would be important. First time uh, we've mentioned the name Cooper cup. Uh, could you see cam by Cooper cup runs? He's the leading receiver in the NFL Stafford and cup have a great connection that they've built this year. Could you see Bynum possibly in the slot a little bit against Cooper cup? I think that is a, he was a corner in college. He's a little bigger and more physical than Mackenzie Alexander is. Mackenzie has been mostly good, um, but but has had struggles at times against some of those elite slot receivers. If anything, maybe rotate them because it's tough to keep up with Cooper Cup all game. I think rotating makes sense. The other thing is, I mean, let's be honest. He's been so good this year. He's the only person who comes close. Um, you know, Devontae uh, Adams is great. Don't get me wrong. But I think to JJ this year is Cooper Cup. And, you know, there's something to the idea of just like putting Bynum in the slot, uncup. That's your guy all game. And you're probably having Harrison Smith bracket over him, you know, as much as possible because we, it just, he's that good. Um, you're going to have to double them. Um, and, and Peterson, yeah, right. Peterson shadows Odell Beckham as he did earlier yep. this week uh, when, yep. when we had the Cleveland Browns. So I, I think that that makes sense. And that way you get the, the bigger, more athletic, um, you know, guy in, on cup versus, you know, Mackenzie Alexander, who um, hasn't, has had a really up and down season. Um, and PFF does not grade him very well. Um, in terms of his performance this year. Um, so I, I, I like that idea, but I will say, and you know that I can be very critical of, of Zimmer, um, you know, maybe overly critical sometimes. Uh, this is the type of situation, though, that I think he really excels at. He, taking a, a strength of the opponent that is really mystifying and most teams struggle with, and coming up with a clever way of addressing it. I think of the Saints playoff game and what he did there. They've actually had a worse tendency to just play down to teams under Zimmer and, and maybe not accomplish as much as they should defensively against those teams. Think of the Lions, um, you know, both times. Uh, you know, so, but, but he tends to play up in these situations, I think of the, the Seahawks playoff game where, you know, he contained that offense um, so well. And then obviously we had the overtime uh, or the, the, the game winning kick that was missed. Um, but the, so I, I do, I, I am looking for him to get very clever in how he solves the Cooper cup uh, issue and how uh, his, uh, you know, dynamic play. Yeah, and I think he was excellent last week. 
uh, Zim, <laughs> we, we said Zim against rookie quarterbacks, it's bad for the rookie quarterbacks most of the time. And it, indeed it was for Justin Fields. It was awesome to see Zim crack a smile on the sideline um, during the game with his arms up in the air after one of many fourth down stops um, in the red zone by this Vikings defense. They just did a tremendous job uh, getting pressure on fields, confusing him. And Matthew Stafford is certainly above Justin Fields caliber, but Mike Zimmer has battered Matthew Stafford. His defense has probably more than any other defense has in the NFL. Now it helps that they played the Lions twice a year, but man, since Zim took over in 2014, Stafford has had some rough days at the hands of the Vikings. I think there was one day they sacked him like, like eight or nine times, uh, which was a franchise record. And Daniil had a lot of those. Daniil's not there, but as we discussed earlier, the Vikings are still sacking the quarterback plenty. And uh, the way DJ Wadham's playing, hopefully he can, carry that forward a little bit but we're finding creative ways it's not just that's what is so impressive here how many times lately have we seen three rushers at the quarterback we saw it against pittsburgh in the first half against big ben eric kendricks untouched i mean harrison smith untouched that doesn't happen very often in the national football league but it happens frequently with mike simmer defenses and I think he's going to have something up his sleeve this week. Uh, like you said, he finds some creative ways in these big games. Um, that Saints playoff game is a perfect example with moving Daniil and, and Everson inside against their weak guards. He's going to find the weakness and get pressure on Matthew Stafford. And, and that's, that's the key to this game. If you let him stand back there, the way he's slinging it to Cooper Cup right now, it's going to be a long day. But I think with the way Pierce is playing and Tomlinson up the middle is big because now they're starting to contain what they did. The, the run defense looked leaky in the first half against the bears. They tightened yep. it up really well in the second half. I think they only allowed like 30 some yards rushing in the second half and Pierce was unblockable. So uh, he, he was living up to his nickname of the juggernaut in that game. Uh, he was really good. That's what we need to see again shut down their running game, get them into third and long, and then you unleash the Zimmer pressure packages and get your offense into some good field position. And then I think offensively, we, we've been clamoring for aggression all year. I think this is not that you play conservative in this game, but kind of to your point earlier about, you know, the short passing game being an extension of the run. I think most important in this game, the Rams offense is top five in like every category. You got to keep them off the field. You got to win time of possession. In this game, I think more important than being really explosive, and certainly take those if they're there, but more important is moving the chains, moving the chains, staying on the field. I've mentioned this all year long. They've had way too many third, three and outs. If they were playing a good team on Monday, they would have lost because they had four straight three and outs near the end of the game when they needed to, to, to seal the game. Luckily, the Bears are so bad it didn't matter. But against the Rams, you have four three and outs in the second half. If you're trying to nail down a win, that could really cost. No doubt. The last thing I just want to say on, on the Vikings, uh, uh, kudos to Zimmer for winning another game of Sol uh, uh, Soldier Field. 
kudos to Kirk for doing it, if winning again at Soldier Field. We've had trouble with that. Um, kudos to Kirk for winning his second primetime game in a row. Uh, you know, I think this once and for all tells people who focus exclusively on wins as a quarterback stat that they should shut the hell up because it's two mediocre games in a row for Kirk. Hasn't mattered. And by the way, fun stat, number of QB starts where their defense has held the other teams to seven points or less. Derek Carr, one time in 122 starts. Kirk Cousins, one time in 119 starts. Mac Jones, four times in 13 starts. It is a team (laughs) game. It matters what the rest of your team does. And so if you are Kirk Cousins and you play well, at a the most dysfunctional team in the NFL, the Washington football team, formerly known as the, the Redskins when he was there, the, you know, you're not going to win a whole lot of games. And they've had how many quarterbacks since, at, you know, with Washington football team that haven't won, even if they're playing decently. Same no thing doubt. with the Vikings. You know, if, if, you're, if your defense isn't playing well or people are, turning over the balls in key situations where you could win a game or kickers are missing field goals and all of that, it goes way beyond your stats. So uh, I, I wish that at some point, you know, as Dalvin said um, uh, when he was on the Pat McAfee show and they were talking about it, I know you saw that. It was great. That was very good. I hope that people stop criti- over being overly critical of Kirk and his, um, his win record and primetime performance and all of that because he he's shown over and over again he's a top 10 quarterback in this league he's consistently that uh he's brought uh, a lot of consistency and stability to the quarterback position for the vikings and this year he's played like a top five qb and so i just want to throw that kudos to him even though he had a bad game in some ways um that he won another he needs to be but he needs to be better these next three games oh no doubt doubt. but but to to your point i've already seen some people start speculating about like off-season trades and how they got to give up kirk no the 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 main off-season priority needs to be extending kirk yes extending kirk because like you said stability that's the key word stability at the quarterback position, he will be making way too much for the salary cap next year. You can't go into the season with the salary cap hit that he's going to be putting on you next year. But, but you can't, when you have this core and and there will be some changes, there always are. But when you have Justin Jefferson and Dalvin cook and Adam Thielen offensively, and you have, I, I think Daniel will be back next year. Um, I pointed out to uh, somebody on Twitter who said he's always hurt that that is just not true he played almost every game before last year and uh, I conveniently posted the the his pro football reference page that indicated that um, he was playing like all 16 games until that two freak injuries the past two years so has he always been hurt the past two years I guess but not in his career um, they're going to find a way to keep him. He's too talented. Um, and, and and I think Patrick Peterson has stated that he wants to stick around. So you, and, and Harrison Smith is around and still playing at the top of his game. 
um, or near it. Uh, Eric Kendricks is around. We'll see what they do with Barr, but they, they've got some pieces and they've got draft picks and they've got free agency. Um, so, and we'll see, you know, what the, what the coaching situation is, but uh, at the quarterback position, the priority needs to be to find a way to keep this guy around in a Vikings uniform for the long term, because um, is he the perfect quarterback? No. Are you going to find somebody better in the draft or free agency? No. So unless you want to tear it down and rebuild, which I don't think this team's in a position to do, and the Wilfs really never want to do that. Um, they've been pretty damn competitive almost every year since actually, yes, every single year since Zimmer's got here, they've been competitive. So say what you will, but uh, the man hasn't competing. So we'll, we'll talk about Zimmer. We'll talk about uh, Kirk in the off season. The, 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 the storylines are never dull with the Minnesota Vikings. And this will be another important off season. No, no question about it. Um, I guess last thing to uh, touch on, we can, this baseball lockout, I was thinking of talking about that, but that's going to go on for a while. And the twins haven't done anything other than sign Dylan Bundy. So before the lockout happened, so we don't need to talk much about that. Um, the Wolves have had some COVID issues with Edwards and the protocols. I just saw Carl Anthony Towns re-enter the protocols. So, um, and then, but the thing that we could talk about just briefly is the college football playoff. Um, college football playoff starting on New Year's Eve. Uh, we can talk about this a little next week as well, but you have uh, Alabama and Cincinnati and then Michigan and Georgia. Um, should be uh, the Michigan-Georgia game expected to be a little tighter, but uh, who knows? Since he, since he uh, maybe gives Alabama a run for its money, I doubt it, but uh, you follow college football closer than I do, at least until Lincoln Riley arrived in Southern California. Now I might uh, up my level back to where it was when I was a student and Pete Carroll was there. But uh, anyway, what do, what do you think? Uh, you, you've, watched, you've watched these teams a lot. Yeah, what's interesting about Alabama is they absolutely took it to Georgia. And it really just shows give Nick Saban an extra week of preparation and he will outcoach anyone um, and get his team ready because this was an Alabama team that looked pedestrian for throughout the season. They should have lost to Auburn. They arguably should have lost to Florida earlier in the season. Uh, they lose to a Texas A&M team that turned out to be, you know, they were eight and four. They didn't turn out to be very good. Uh, they struggled against LSU uh, who had already fired their coach. Like this, this was a, a Alabama team. I don't know if they were just on autopilot um, because they've been such a good program over the years or what, you know, Cincinnati is a good team. They beat my Irish and they, they took it to them. Um, you know, so they're they're and we don't know what role COVID's going to play in any of these games. Um, I, I think what's interesting about Michigan, Georgia is everyone was saying Georgia's the number one team, Georgia's the number one team. And then you looked at most of the teams they played and, you know, they beat a Clemson team in the first game that everyone was thinking was going to be good. And they turned out to be not very good for the first half of the season. So what did that really mean as a, as a victory? Um, and then most of the SEC East teams they played turned out to not be good. Again, that said Florida team. Um, so 
was this a case of Alabama playing up or Georgia just not actually being that good and they got exposed on uh, the defense or was it they their uh, confidence went to their head and they just didn't perform? So I think it's they're going to be interesting matchups. Um, you know, I, I just don't see how you bet against Nick Saban in Alabama. I get tired of it. I don't want to see it. I don't like them. But I, I think it is just so hard to bet against him because he just – they get so much talent. They're, they're so good at recruiting. Um, and then, as a side note, I, I mean, I do think Michigan is talented, um, and it's, it's, it's good for college football when programs like that are better. Same thing when USC is better. Same thing when Notre Dame is better. The, with the blue blood, blood programs, it is better um, for college football when a lot of them are competitive. Um, but what, what's just going to be so interesting uh, going forward for, for Alabama is the transfer portal and how they're able to just bring people in uh, from other schools that maybe couldn't compete that first year. But when I, you know, how well do they use that? It's, uh, the college football landscape is, is really changing. And I'm interested to see if it gets more competitive after this um, or if with NIL and transfer – um, the rich get richer. It's going to be a fascinating dynamic to watch in the coming years. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I hope the games are close. Uh, I, I think Georgia, uh, all I'll say about that is they better have JT Daniels ready to go, uh, the, the USC transfer, because Stetson Bennett against Alabama, I don't think they can win a national championship with Stetson Bennett. And, and I have uh, some really good uh, friends who are very – uh, tied into the Georgia program. And uh, they said that exact same thing, but they also said that Kirby smart is very stubborn when it comes to making a quarterback change. And Stetson Bennett did win them a lot of games after JT Daniels went out hurt. But I think in order to win a national championship, they're going to have to have to um, return the reins to him, or at least use him in some sort of role because Stetson Bennett just does not have the physical tools that Daniels has. And you saw what that Alabama defense did to him uh, throughout the SEC championship game. So if that's the rematch, they, they might beat Michigan. They're not beating Bama with Stetson Bennett. And I want to say this, the much maligned Alabama defense, their defense has not been very good this year. And no. yet they, but, you know, they, but like you said, in crunch time, they needed to win that game to get into the playoff. They did. Saban doesn't, Saban doesn't lose those must wins very often. He won that one. And, and I think, uh, I don't think, I don't see how you, you can predict Stetson Bennett is going to fare much better a second go around against Nick Saban. So um, I, I would say you give the reins back to Daniels, uh, that Georgia defense will have to play much, much better. Uh, but that Michigan game is going to be fascinating. I mean, it's good to see Michigan back in the, in the, thick of things here yeah no it, it is I, I i mean desmond ritter is great for cincinnati i i um they're a tough team they play good defense they got um you know a great cornerback um they i just don't think they have the depth to compete with alabama this is the time of year that alabama's depth and all the playmakers that they can throw at you really makes a difference we we go back to when Tua stepped in in the middle of the national championship and won it for them and that's what happens yeah. when you have that but depth. that's what Saban is willing to that to, to my point his quarterback was struggling at halftime he made 
a switch to a freshman at halftime of the national championship game. That's the kind of coaching you need. I mean, that's the kind of bold decision-making you need in the heat of the moment. I mean, that stuff just happens in college football. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the the other – I do think the only – as an Irish fan, I hate saying this um, about Michigan because they're one of my least favorite teams along with USC. Um, but the – they with Alabama it's not unlike the game the Vikings are facing with the Rams you got to keep their offense off the field um they can score at any point but you just you can't you know they're going to run your defense around uh, you know just get them tired um you've got to let them rest and so you've got to have longer drives and Michigan is designed to be more of a run heavy team if you can get it going and and methodically um piece together uh first downs and drives uh and that that will allow their really good defense um to try and stay rested and and keep that uh both the the georgia offense uh, but in particular the alabama offense you know and all their playmakers in check they've got the top offensive line in the country uh, so can they match up and, you know, and really take it to Alabama's not so great defense this year um, if they make it to the championship game against them? Um, they might be one of those teams that matches up well against Alabama and better than other teams. So I hate to say it, but I, they're the team I do think has a chance against Bama so that we don't end up with a repeat. Um, you know, uh, the, the same refrain of national championship uh for alabama tough to uh keep bryce young down the heisman uh, trophy winner who by the way was a usc commit so uh we i think we're gonna see a few of those socal guys start to stay home uh we've already seen it with lincoln riley and actually they just got the best player in the state of california for the 2022 class he was between usc and alabama and uh, if Clay Helton was still the coach, we know he would be saying, we know that guy would be saying roll tide. Um, instead, he was flashing the fight on sign and committing to Lincoln Riley and the Trojans. So, I, I mean, I think continuing to follow this recruiting dynamic should be fascinating. But Bryce Young, you know, came out of Southern California and uh, boy, his, his demeanor is very SoCal, calm and cool. And uh, Saban just loves him as he should. First, uh, First Alabama Heisman winner, right? I think uh, uh, Heisman uh, quarterback winner. Quarterback, yeah, quarterback yeah. winner. Yeah, they've had some Heisman winners, but uh, first Heisman quarterback winner from Alabama, pretty, pretty impressive. And uh, Saban just continues to uh, Saban and Belichick. You mentioned Belichick earlier. It's going to be interesting to see uh, Mac Jones in the playoffs. I'm not so sure. Speaking of uh, Alabama quarterbacks, I'm. I'm a little skeptical of that, but the AFC is so weird. We'll, we'll talk more about that uh, down the line. But uh, I think that'll do it for, for today as long as uh, – oh, I did have to say, I do have to give a little shout-out to – I like college basketball. I'm a part of a very small, diehard USC basketball contingent of fans, which is growing. Um, and I have to give a shout-out to them because they are now number eight in the country and one of five undefeated teams – in all of college basketball. So uh, after an Elite Eight run last year, and Andy Enfield, the head coach, just got signed to a contract extension. 
So uh, congratulations to him. Uh, and they, it, it is, it is, I'm jealous of the freshman starting at USC next year because it reminds me a little bit of my freshman year when we came in with Pete Carroll as the head football coach. We were number one in the nation, lost three games our first two years combined and won two Rose Bowls. And we're so spoiled that we were upset about it because they weren't national championships. And in basketball, we had Tim Floyd as head coach and had LJ Mayo and DeMar DeRozan and uh, Taj Gibson and a bunch of other NBA guys. So um, it's a good time to be a USC Trojans fan. First time you can really say that in a, in a while, really since I was in school. Um, so yeah, shout out to the number eight uh, USC Trojans. We'll see if they stay undefeated. Um, conference play starting up in college basketball. A lot of, uh, it's a good time. And the Gophers, speaking. I was going to say, can't, Gophers, if we're going to talk college basketball, we should just. Yes. And, and Ben Johnson has done a great job. They beat Michigan on the road. I think that was the first Gophers team to do that in like two decades. Uh, they, beat, they beat Michigan on the road. They competed well against Michigan State. Um, they're winning a lot of games. I think they've lost one game so far this season. So uh, they're, they're trying to get into the NCAA tournament. And they had no expectations. I mean, maybe they did internally, but certainly the media was not projecting them to do anything this year. And Ben Johnson, the De La Salle alum, who has a guy that you faced uh, on the opposing sideline, Dave Thorson, the for his former coach, De La Salle, uh, a great high school basketball coach, won a ton of state championships, some of which I called on play-by-play, -play, actually. Um, he's on his staff at the University of Minnesota. So it's a pretty cool full circle thing for, uh, for Ben Johnson at the U. It is. Um, they're going to be a fun team to watch. Shows uh, when you have a really good coach who deeply cares about his players. Um, also gets X's and O's. I think that a, a recruits will come. Uh, when you when you have that uh, that coach who who has that relationship um, and and knows how to win uh, and has a track record coming from a program that won a lot um, and and you know a good experience as an assistant it it should be I think there's a bright future for the Gophers um, and there are a lot of good high school basketball players here we've obviously seen the yeah. last couple of years uh, Holmgren Jalen Suggs. Uh, and, you know, of, of, of course, it's not just on, on the male side. Um, you know, we also have Paige Bukers, who's so, so I will be nice to see, if, um, you know, with, with the go, uh, if he can build them up to be a real program in the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think he's created just a good culture. there, And, and if he can get For sure. there, there's few places, really. There's few venues in Minnesota that are better when they're rocking than the barn. Uh, the barn, when it's rocking, is awesome. Hasn't been rocking enough. Um, but when it is, it's a really tough place to play. And it's a lot easier to recruit and bring a guy in there when it's a packed house. Um, and, you, and you have this culture. And, and I think he's I, – I did hear – and last, thing, last point on this, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. I heard a great interview with him on KFAN with Dan Barrero and he was talking to, to Ben Johnson about um, how Ben was able to build his team 
in large part in the way he wanted to right away because of all the defections in the transfer portal. So many guys left the program. And, and you think, well, that's terrible. Like you're going to have to start from, from scratch. But the good thing about that was he was able to bring in his types of guys from a, from a, a character standpoint, from a culture standpoint. So he has his types of guys in there right away. Sometimes that takes two, three years in order to get the types of guys you want to create that culture you want. He's able to start that from day one. And that kind of speeds up, I think, the recruiting process for him when they see the type of culture he's created and how he's uh, certainly, at least you know, to most people, overachieved um, in, in year one. So that's pretty cool. And I hope they keep winning. Me too. All right, that'll do it. Speaking of winning, we need a Vikings one Sunday so that we can go into Lambeau Field on uh, the 2nd of January, Sunday Night Football. That's what we'll be talking about next week. Um, another huge game against the Green Bay Packers. And uh, enjoy enjoy uh, all the football this week. Uh, there's a lot of it, even on Christmas Day. They have hijacked Christmas Day. The NFL, the Vikings were on Christmas Day last year. That wasn't good. Camara had like six touchdowns. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, everything's going on sports-wise here this weekend. So, uh, Merry Christmas to everybody out there. Uh, we'll be back with you next week to wish you a Happy New Year. And uh, for Matt Galvin, I'm Marshall Kellner. We will talk to you next time. See ya.